I tell you what, Lacey and Brad are two of the hardest working people I've ever been around. Show her, show them your appreciation. Hey. He's young. He's strong. As Robert Stewart, defensive lineman in Alabama, would say, he's strong. He's really strong. But what a great yard sale we had. It was, uh, I'll say a little bit more about that in my message. But good morning, everyone. You know it's Pentecost Sunday? Come on. We're Pentecostal. You know, we, we try to be anyway, right? It's Pentecost Sunday, and uh, it's a full seven weeks after Easter. The uh, It's called also Feast of Weeks. In Hebrew, it's Shavuot. It's... Um, it was actually officially in the Jewish calendar last Sunday through Tuesday, the 16th through the 18th. But we always have Pentecost Sunday seven Sundays after Easter. So this is Pentecost Sunday today. Uh, it also commemorates the um, giving of the law on Mount Sinai. And this was there. If there was a Thanksgiving day in the Jewish, Jewish calendar, it's this day. It's the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost. It's bringing the first gathering of the wheat harvest before the Lord and just thanking Him for the harvest of wheat that's coming. You know, that's the way God always worked. He always worked with you giving that first part to Him and watch Him bless the rest of it. That's why they brought the first part of the wheat harvest. So we're going to talk about the 120 people. We're going to look at Acts 2 just briefly, and then we're going to jump into Acts chapter 20, and I'll make a reference to Acts chapter, uh, I think it's 9, I think it's right, so we'll see. But this is Acts chapter 2, if you will look at me, look with me at Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, this is familiar words to most of us here, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I don't know if you're aware of the technical term of speaking in tongues, but this is it, glossolalia. Now, have any of you in this room never heard that term before? Well, a couple of people. Nobody wanted to be the obvious one. Glossolalia. I didn't even know that's what we were doing when I was being raised in church until I did a research paper of, in all places, my freshman English class at Jackson State. The theme for that end of that semester, our teacher actually gave us a research paper on our church denomination. And if you didn't have one, choose one. And when I researched the history of the sinners of God, I realized, hey, that's what it's called. It's called glossolalia, speaking in other tongues. And the word comes from glossi, which is the Greek word translated tongues. And if you're in King James translation, if you look real close, unknown is in parenthesis or is in italics because it's added to give understanding. Glossi are languages that the person speaking does not know. It's absolutely supernatural to speak in a language you don't know. And this is exactly what they were doing. And what they were speaking in 
were languages, legitimate languages. There was like 15 different groups of people coming from other parts of Africa and everywhere that you can think of where Jewish people lived, and they all had their own dialects. And all of them heard some of those people, 120 of them, speaking in their dialect, while the people that were speaking those dialects, they were speaking in glossi, which was unknown to them. It was all supernatural. And people say, well, was that to tell the gospel? Not really. It was to get the attention of the people, and it did that. Because Peter stood up and preached in one language that everybody could hear, and 3,000 people got saved. So what was the thing about speaking in languages they didn't know? It grabbed their attention. They were hearing the great things of God from people that they knew by their accent that they did not know the language they were speaking in. Later on, a man named Saul of Tarsus had his own Pentecost. And you'll find this in chapter 9 in the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. Uh, verse 17, and, and I'll just put it this way, and, and I'm wanting to get to a later part of uh, the book of Acts, but Paul is on his way to arrest more Christians. He is the chief nemesis of the church. And on the way, you remember, he was struck by this revelation of Jesus. His eyes were blinded, and he was led into Damascus, and he was without food and water for three days. He was in prayer, and, and Ananias, a prophet, the Lord spoke to Ananias and said, there's a man that I want you to go to and pray for. His name is Saul. And he said, I've heard about that guy. He wants to arrest us. He wants to kill us. He's against us, he says, but he has had a vision of someone named Ananias, you, coming to him and telling him about me. So Ananias goes in, and this is verse 17 when he says, he goes in, I love how he starts this, brother Saul. <laughs> I won't tell you he was anything but a brother, but uh, I guess Ananias is like, by prophecy, brother Saul. The Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me, and watch this, to do two things. He has sent me that you may see again and that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the rest of the book of Acts, Paul pretty much dominates the rest of that book. Luke is writing it, and Luke spent a lot of time with Paul. Paul had his own personal Pentecost. And he made four distinct trips, missionary trips, into what is modern-day Turkey, all the way over into Europe, into Italy. And on this third missionary trip, I'm, this is why I'm taking to uh, Acts chapter 20, if you'll turn there. In Acts 20, he's on his way back to Jerusalem on this third missionary trip. And in verse 15, there's this thing here that I noticed and it just kind of jumped out to me that why was Paul so eager to get back to Jerusalem? The day after, we cross over to Samos, and on the following day, we arrived at Miletus. Verse 16, Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia. Well, he was in a hurry. A hurry for what? He was in a hurry to get to Jerusalem. For what? If possible, to get there by the day of 
people. Think about that. Paul is on this journey. He's been, you know, in that area of Ephesus before, but he did not want to spend time going to Ephesus. He sent word to these people to come and meet him on the shoreline so that it, it wouldn't take up more time for him to travel inland. And he has this wonderful meeting with them, and he prays for them, and they all cry together, kneeling on the sandy shore of that area because he told them, says, this is the last time you and I will see each other face to face. I'm, I'm assured that this is it for me. And he goes all the way to Jerusalem on the way. It seems like chapter 21, Luke gives a almost a day-by-day review of what's going on. The next day we went here, and the next day we went there, and, and he says everywhere on the way, people prophesied to Paul, trouble awaits you in Jerusalem. The man who owns this belt, Agabus, took Paul's belt and prophesied. The man who owns this belt, it's going to be tied around him. He's going to be apprehended. He's going to be turned over to the Gentiles by the Jewish people. And all of them turned to Paul and says, you know what, Paul, you don't need to go to Jerusalem. It's dangerous. You hear all these prophecies. And he said, this is my place in life. I don't worry about that. I'm ready to lay down my life. And he says, but I have got to get back for Pentecost. Isn't it interesting that, that Paul, in his Christian experience, never stopped loving the festivals of his faith? He didn't stop being a Jewish man. He was just, as my mother would say, a completed Jew. Now, we call them Messianic Jews today. But he wanted to get back for Pentecost. We think, well, did they not go back to the temple? Of course they went back to the temple. And he was in the temple for Pentecost when they accused him of bringing a Gentile into the temple courtyard, which was a big no-no, he ended up getting arrested, and he was in incarceration for the rest of his life until he was beheaded. Just as what they were prophesying, this trouble awaits you. But he had to be there. He had to get back. He had to make a return to Pentecost. Do you realize that the American church today needs a new Pentecost? We need a return to Pentecost. What has happened in our nation has, has really put us, or it should put us, on our knees seeking the face of God. It should, right? What's going on around us should bring us to our knees saying, God, we need to return to Pentecost. We almost need to be like he was, eager to get back to Jerusalem. I have to get back to Jerusalem. May God give us that have to type praying. I have to seek God. I have to see what he has for me. I have to experience the newness of his power. Not that long ago, the British Broadcasting Company, known as the BBC, which is not a conservative instrument, by the way, but they wrote this story, and I'm just going to read some of it. I'm going to quote it to you about what's going on in the UK recently. Pentecostalism was the title of the article. And you would think that this group of people would have something derogatory to say about Pentecostalism. Listen to this. Pentecostals are the fastest growing group of Christians in the UK. How about that? Is that news for you? It's news to me. Because <laughs> we don't hear that, do we? we? We hear all of the other stuff. But Pentecostals, this is the BBC. 
The research was based on an analysis of the English church census carried out by the charity Christian Research and funded by the Economic and Social Research Council. That doesn't sound like a conservative think tank, does it? Pentecostalism, quoting again, Pentecostalism is a form of Christianity that emphasizes the work of the Holy Spirit and the direct experience of the presence of God by the believer. They continue, Pentecostals believe that faith must be powerfully experiential and not something found merely through ritual or thinking. Amen. Pentecostal, <laughs> I love this. Pentecostalism is energetic, or it should be energetic. <laughs> Pentecostalism is energetic and dynamic. Its members believe they are driven by the power of God moving within them. Not to be undone, Pentecostal churches stress the importance of conversions that amount to a baptism in the Spirit. This fills the believer, I'm not making this up. This fills the believer with the Holy Spirit, which gives the believer strength to live a truly Christian life. The BBC, you can look it up, I'm not making this up. The direct experience of God is revealed by the gifts of the Spirit, such as speaking in tongues, prophecy, and healing. End of quote. And I found this. On down to this article, Pentecostalism is not a church in itself, but a movement that includes many different churches. It's also a movement of renewal or revival within other denominations. Here we are saying we need a new Pentecost. And maybe it's happening in places we don't see it. But the places we are at, we want to see it happen. We want that experience. We want the renewing presence of the Lord. In Topeka, Kansas, in 1900, there was a guy named Charles Harden that came into what he called the apostolic faith movement. And he started a school, small school, had a few students, and they were talking about the book of Acts, and they were studying about all of this, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they came on Christmas break, and the, the students, it wasn't a very big school there. It was in Topeka, Kansas, just a handful of students. And they said, you know what? We're not going to take Christmas break. But we've been reading about the book of Acts. Why aren't we experiencing it? So we're going to have a prayer meeting during Christmas break. And we're going to see what God will do. And on New Year's Day, 1901, Agnes Osmond was baptized in the Holy Spirit and was the first one in that group to speak in tongues. And it lit a fire in that movement. Not long after that, William Seymour, born in Louisiana in 1870, to former slaves that had not been freed very long, was hungry for God, raised in a, in a, in a church setting, but was so hungry for more of God, he met Charles Harham, and it ignited something within him. He, had, he didn't experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit like Agnes Osmond had, but he, wanted, he had this hunger, and he made his way out to Los Angeles to a little house on Bonnie Bray Street. 
not Azusa Street, Bonnie Bray. And a lot of people don't know this, but the Azusa Street Revival started in a house that William Seymour was holding prayer meetings, and people in that house started getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. 1906, April of 1906. If any of you are historians in here, American history, you know 1906, April of 1906, something really bad happened in San Francisco. It's called the San Francisco earthquake. Well, there was another earthquake happening. It wasn't a physical one. It was a spiritual one. And so many people started flocking to Bonnie Bray Avenue that they couldn't contain it. So they moved down to this former stable where the horses were kept called Azusa Street. And William Parham led a three-year revival of people coming from all over the world getting filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's the interesting thing about what happened in Los Angeles. In 1906, Pastor Joseph Smell of the First Baptist Church in Los Angeles, California, had went to the Welch Revival, a nine-month-long revival in Wells, came back and told his congregation, we've got to seek God. We're going to have prayer meetings. And as those prayer meetings started, People would line up outside the First Baptist Church waiting for them to unlock the door so they could go in and get on their faces before God in First Baptist Church, Los Angeles, California. The confluence of both Smell's passion to seek the face of God and William Seymour being in the same town to the same place created quite a fireworks. I think Pastor Smell was asked to leave his church later on. But there was an explosion of Pentecost in Azusa Street. And it was because there was a hunger for God. There was people waiting outside First Baptist Church. You know, we had a yard sale yesterday. And my back tells me we had a yard sale yesterday. My arms tell me, everything about me tells me we had a yard sale yesterday. And it was supposed to start at 8 o'clock. And you know, people don't go by that. And we had a bunch of people here. In fact, at one point, the parking lot was full of cars, and people were parking on the grass. And somehow, I don't know how I get in these positions, somehow I was the guy in front of the door telling them we're not ready yet. How ready are we? Give us 10 more minutes. We're not ready yet. And they were getting more and more and more. And I was like, they're going to run right over me. I'm, I'm in the way of people ready to go. But you know, that's not what happened. I had four people, three women and one man, standing in front of me, preaching to me that this is the way Sunday morning ought to look. Why aren't people in church like this? Why aren't they waiting to get in church? Look at all these people out here. And I'm like, well, you're part of it. I, I want to say, but you're part of it. Look at you. All of you all excited about this yard sale. But I mean, this one little lady, she was preaching. She was on fire, all of them. And I was like, I was becoming, amen, amen. Yes, that's right, that's right. And for like 10 minutes, they was telling me, why isn't there a hunger for God? These were people who understood that what they were seeing and what they were part of was not matched in church. The same level, the same passion, the same eagerness to experience the presence of God. They were, they were really telling the truth and they weren't saying it as though not incriminating of themselves or me 
But we all had to agree it's not like that. And it should be a little bit like that. Eager to hear what God has to say. That's exactly what happened on Bonnie Baker Street. They was lined up. They didn't have room for those people. And, and there was almost every person in missionary work after that can trace the lineage of their missionary call to that revival. Because when people left there, they went to different parts of the country, different parts of the world, and people got missionary-minded. They went all over the place, didn't even learn. They didn't know Mandarin Chinese. They got on a ship in New York Harbor and headed to China because God called them to China. Didn't know anyone there, didn't know the language. And we would look at people like that and say, you're crazy. You you need to learn the language, and you don't know anybody there. How are you going to learn the language? They just got on boats. It went all over the world. Because the Holy Spirit had fallen on them, and they were willing to do whatever God called them to do. We need a return to Pentecost. We need a new Pentecost. And it's been all through church history. I don't want to belabor the point, but St. Augustine, who lived 300-plus years after the first Pentecost in Acts 2, wrote this. We still do, remind you, Let me remind you, 300 plus years after the first Pentecost, we still do what the apostles did. When they laid hands on the Samaritans and called down the Holy Spirit on them by laying on of hands, it is expected that converts should speak with new tongues. The gifts of the Spirit showed up in the Reformation. Martin Luther is considered to have such an experience with God that he had prophetic gifting, speaking in tongues, and, and was gifted in so many spiritual gifts it was amazing all because he had an encounter with God that transcended all of his learning all of his training as a Catholic priest none of that mattered he had an encounter with God that changed his life and he was filled with the Holy Spirit not many people will write that about him and then a couple of hundred years after that this German wealthy man Count von Zinzendorf got this move of God inside of him and he wanted to use his wealth to create a community of people who would all have kind of like the same opportunity at life and they did their own farming but they also it was principally to meet with God and on August the 13th 1727 they had a prayer meeting before taking communion and the power of God fell on that place that shook them all They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And 200 years later, a man would write, a a Moravian missionary, they went to the West Indies, Moravian missionaries went to the colonies of the United States. There was nowhere those people would not go filled with the Holy Spirit in the 1700s, had such an impact on John Wesley on a ship that it changed his life. That experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. D.L. Moody, in one of his last sermons that he preached in Boston, wrote this. And I I wasn't aware of this until just recently. Because I've got a book, his biography. And he had all kinds of things. The YMCA, you know what that is? You know what it stands for? Young Men's Christian Association. The YMCA used to be a missionary entity. When Moody would go somewhere, he would link up with the YMCA, and there was YMCAs that were having a Pentecostal experience. 
And Moody didn't know what to do with it sometimes. He didn't really know. He knew that something was real. But this is one of the last sermons that Moody preached. This is part of this 200th anniversary. This guy wrote this article, and he said this about D.L. Moody. See how he came on the day of Pentecost, and Moody's preaching this to people in Boston. See how he came on the day of Pentecost? It is not carnal to pray that he may come again. And that the place may be shaken. I believe Pentecost was but a specimen day. I think the church has made this woeful mistake that Pentecost was a miracle never to be repeated. I have thought too that Pentecost was a miracle that is not to be repeated. I believe now if we looked on Pentecost as a specimen day and began to pray we should have the old Pentecostal fire here in Boston. He said, I used to look at that as that just, that was a day back in fixed history. But he says, now the more I see what I see, and this is toward the end of his life, he said, I can see that that wasn't just something for the history books. This was something for all of us to experience. And James Dunn wrote a book on the baptism in the Holy Spirit said, Calvary without Pentecost would not be an atonement to us. And he explains it this way. Jesus' death and resurrection go for nothing and are wholly ineffective without the gift of the Holy Spirit. Remember when Jesus in his resurrected form leaned up to the disciples and he breathed on them. He said, today, we don't want anybody breathing on us. He said, but hey, don't do that. But he breathed on them, and you know what he said to them? Receive the Holy Spirit. And it was like this was priming them for Pentecost. Receive the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus spoke, and, and our praise team can come in. Jesus spoke that they who, that hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. And the question I have is, how hungry are we are for a new Pentecost? I want a new Pentecost. I want to I wanna get a return to Pentecost myself. A refreshing Pentecost. We need a return to Pentecost. But Jesus also gave these three actions. He said, Matthew 7, 7, ask. And it will be given to you. Seek. And you will find. Knock. And the door will be opened to you. He did not say. That this might happen. That you can ask and maybe it will happen. Most of the time it will happen. Knock and sometimes the door will be opened to you. Most of the time the door will be opened to you. He gave a principle. That if we reach. If we. standing in front of me in that door outside our fellowship hall they seem to be a desperation in heaven and it just I tell you to be honest with you it encouraged me 
when I walk away from them and just, you know what, they failed and I'm like, oh God, I thank you. That there's people walking around like that. They see what's going on around them and they say, man, why don't we have a greater hunger for God? Why, why do we have more excitement about other things that are temporary, that don't matter, that are, that's temporal, that's going to fade away? All those things that people bought that were amazing that were bought are they're already half broken, and they're going to get more broken. Why? Because they don't last. And what they were saying is that we need that every day to be broken. We need a new Pentecost. We need a new outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Would you stand with me? I'm just going to ask you a very pointed question this morning. How hungry are you to ask? How hungry are you to seek? How hungry are you to knock at the door of his opportunity and say, Lord, this is where I need to reach you. This point in my life, Lord, this is where I need you. I need a revelation of who you are. I need, I need your power. And if you want, if you want a new Pentecost, you just come and stand across the front here this morning on Pentecost Sunday. Lord, that's what I want. I want it. I want a refreshing Pentecost Sunday. Just fuel me up again. Pour out your presence, Lord. Lord, cleanse us of stuff that's in our lives that shouldn't be there. If that's an, if that's an inhibitor of you having total control of us and filling us, just Reveal your righteousness to us. Cleanse us from our sin. Remove all the impediments that's in our lives. Remove attitudes that are contrary to your will and purpose. Bring forgiveness in our heart for those who've been who've wounded us, Lord. That we release people from all of that. We want clarity with you. We want things to be clear with you, so that our heart can receive what you have for us this morning. And would you just reach up and let Him? pour out his spirit upon you because you ask he will give you seek you will find you knock on that door this morning and he says it will open to you hallelujah in jesus name hallelujah 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 oh father fill us all in this room full of your holy spirit Release your spirit in us, Lord. 